Amen. Thanks, Daniel. Worship team. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. It is, uh, man, it's so good to see you all here this morning. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, um, we are honored to have you. If I haven't had a chance to introduce myself to you, uh, my name is Jason Williams. I have the honor of uh, holding the position of lead pastor here at the church, and I don't really know what that means, so don't, don't come up and ask me. Um, but, but what that means for me is that I get to serve here at the church and lead um, among a body of elders. We're an elder-led church. There's six men uh, who love Jesus and more than they love themselves and who lead out here in our church. And uh, Daniel and uh, David Dahlin are among two new elder candidates. We'll be wrapping up their year-long process this next month and will officially be elders. Um, but in addition to our elder body here as a church, I have the opportunity and privilege of leading with um, a very hardworking staff. Um, many of you know our staff members. Um, we have, uh, first of all, Jason Lewis, who leads out in our worship ministries, who was up here just a moment ago. Uh, and Jamie Curtis, who leads in our kids' ministry um, over in the other building. Both of them have full-time jobs in addition to what they do here. Um, but they love Jesus more than they love themselves, and they serve faithfully. Um, in addition, we have Brian Lamb, who... Uh, basically is a jack of all trades and a master of many. Um, if, you, if you know that about Brian, he has these titles, but there's not enough titles to put after his name for all the things that he does here. I love serving with Brian. Um, Jordan Martin, who leads out in all of our administration, marketing, internal communications. Um, a lot of what you get in printed and on Facebook, all that is her um, doing all that work and our graphics. And so honored to have uh, Jordan as well on staff with us. And uh, did I miss anybody? Um, by the way, when we're talking about staff, just want to mention to you this Tuesday night, um, as some of you may know, we're looking for a part-time uh, kids coordinator to work in the kids ministry under Jamie's leadership. And our leadership team will be interviewing um, a candidate this Tuesday night. And so if you would just pray over our leadership team and our elder body and for that candidate this Tuesday night, that God's will would be done and we'd be able to see clearly um, what his decision would be in that matter. Um, just want you to be aware of that. That happens this Tuesday evening. And so let me, let me say all that to get that out of the way to talk about um, my greatest partner in ministry here at the church is really you. And, uh, and so in so many ways, I'm honored to, to, to be a member at a church like Solid Rock where so many people faithfully serve one another and faithfully serve our community. Um, we're in the middle of a, of a series um, called A Church United. We're walking through our vision, and uh, this is the third week. And so so far, if you're visiting with us today and haven't been here so far, the first week we talked about why unity matters. And we looked at, uh, from God's word, how Jesus, first of all, died for our community, our relationship with one another. And so if, if Jesus is going to die for it, it matters, right? So because Jesus died for it, not only that, he commanded it. Um, and the mission that we're on depends on it. And so unity does matter. It's essential to, um, to us as a church. And last week, we looked at the first component of our vision, gathering and worship, and hopefully you were encouraged and challenged on some level. I know our life group ministry was talking about this this weekend even, about how that plays out in our everyday lives and how it shapes who we are in Christ when we get together uh, for a corporate community worship time, not just individually, privately, but whenever I get together with you and I throw in with you and, and we sing together, and we're underneath God's word together and we, we share life with one another, something that beautiful that happens uh, when, we, when the church gathers together and just had this imagery in the back of my mind, 
as I stood at the back um, during this service, watching you all kind of trickle in at your own pace and different time and f- started filling in all the seats, it was, it was almost like uh, embers of a flame just kind of trickling in and coming together. And, and, and the more we collected and the louder you began to sing, this beautiful flame of, of hope just began to stir in this room. And it was just an amazing thing to watch from the back as God's spirit began to move through you and in you as his people gathered together in his name and he is in our midst. And so um, that was last week we talked about the power of gathering together in worship. And this week we're going to be talking about what it looks like from God's word to grow together now in community, right? To leave God's presence, to leave our time with one another and our time with God changed for the good, right? More like Christ, less of who we used to be and more like who we're becoming. And so we're going to talk about how that happens uh, for the church from Ephesians chapter 4 eventually. So we're not starting there. We'll get there in a minute. Uh, We're going to start in John 17, though, in the Gospels, and look at this beautiful prayer that Jesus prayed um, on our behalf, laying this foundation for unity that um, I think is really important for us to all hear um, as we get started today. So we're going to start in John 17, uh, and we're going to just read verses 21 or 20, 21, and 22, maybe all the way down to 23, and just a, just a small uh, snapshot of this prayer from Jesus. On a personal level, um, I didn't grow up in church. And, uh, and so when we went to church, it was like once or twice a year, like Easter, maybe Christmas Eve, or a special occasion. And so um, the idea of community was a foreign concept to me. Church was a building. Church had people involved, and they all wore fancy clothes, and the ladies wore big hats, and, and that's what church was to me. It was something kind of foreign. It wasn't people that I really saw myself associating with on any other day of the week, any other time of the day. They were a different group of folks. And so if I ever went to church, I kind of felt like I was stepping into a, a, almost like a foreign country or another culture. It was kind of weird and disjointed, and, and I hoped that nobody would talk to me because I don't have the answers to whatever questions you may have. And it felt very disconnected for me until I became a Christian. Um, Late in my teenage years, I actually became a follower of Jesus, and uh, something dramatically changed inside of me. And and, uh, whenever I became a Christian, I joined um, this church that was out in the country and a small, rural, conservative community. And for all the things that maybe they didn't do well, one of the things they do an amazing job at in rural communities is community. Like it's inerrant for folks who live in the country, right, to understand what community means, to bear the burden of your neighbor, to wave at each other when you pass on the road. Don't do that here in Fort Worth because they don't know what that means. But, like, out in the country, you wave at folks. It's, you stop and you shake hands. And, and so that was when I, when I became a Christian. I came into the church. There was still a lot of, I didn't understand, but there was one thing I couldn't deny. It felt like family. Like, I felt like I belonged and I felt welcome, and I felt like if anybody asked me a question I didn't know the answer to, it was going to be okay. They weren't going to kick me out. Like they were going to love me and let me stay. And, and so when we think about church as a family, um, one of our hopes here at Solid Rock is that you feel that way when you walk in. Um, one of our resident pastors, Jason Spader, says that we want, you to, want it to feel like a, you're walking into a big hug. And not in a weird, awkward kind of way, but in like a welcoming kind of way. Like, you belong here and we're glad that you're here. Um, but of course, on the flip side of that, if we're not careful, we'll become like a family. But rather than having open arms, it'll be closed arms. And folks will walk in and say, man, I can tell they love each other and they spend time together and they're talking about doing things outside and I can tell it's a family, but I don't know how to get in. And so it's interesting in Jesus' prayer how he addresses this in his prayer before the Father in John chapter 17. We're going to start 
in verse 20. I don't know if they've got that queued up, so you may want to grab your own Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we put Bibles under the chairs around you. Those are there for you. Feel free to grab one. Um, so this is Jesus. Again, we're just, we're just grabbing a section out of his prayer here, starting in verse 20. He says, I, don't, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And so that's a really unique thing he says. Jesus is bowing before the Father, praying for his disciples, right? This inner core, this inner 12, really tight-knit group. But he's saying, I'm not just praying for them. I'm praying for all the people who will believe in me through them. So Jesus is actually praying for us in this prayer. He's praying for those of us who, through the ministry of these disciples, have come to know him. And so here's what he prays for us. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. So in the same way, he's looking at his disciples, he's praying for his disciples, and they're pretty tight-knit, right? I mean, they were awkward with one another. They made mistakes with one another. They sometimes got things right with one another. I mean, they, they really had come to know one another on an intimate level. But what Jesus was saying is, I'm praying that everybody else, that the gospel reaches, not just the next generation, but the generations that are to come, that they would all be one, just as, look at this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What an essential part of the world believing that God sent Jesus to the earth to die for mankind. mankind. One of the critical elements is what? That you and I would be one in the same way that Jesus and the Father are one. A really critical part of our mission in the world starts right here with how we treat one another, love one another. Our oneness impacts the way the world receives the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, now I know the Trinity can be really complex when we think about what that means, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but what Jesus is saying is complex as it is, the same way, Father, that you and I have unity and we're one, that's the unity I'm praying for for everybody who would be in Christ. And so this community of Christ we call the church is set apart then from other communities we experience in this world, right? It's different from our HOA, right? Whatever subdivision we live in, we have a community center. We're part of a community there. It's set apart from that. It's set apart from a community of folks who get together based on some affinity-based hobby, like we all like to go fly fishing together or crochet potholders together, whatever. Like That's community right on a surface level. But what's being described here is that our community would look like the same community that Jesus and the Father have, that our relationships would go much deeper than surface level to the deep places of the heart, that our relationships would be transparent, that they would be abiding, rooted in one another. There'd be a sense of codependency among us. I need you, and you need me, and we need each other. There's a few examples here that I'll pull out of Scripture. You don't have to turn here. If you want to jot down some addresses, you can but I'm going to go fast. So here's some descriptions of how we're supposed to operate as a church. 
First of all, first and foremost, we're to love one another. John 13, 34, 15, 12. We're supposed to, in Romans 12, 10, called to outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16, we're to live in harmony with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11, we're to comfort and agree with one another. John 13, if you read all the way 1 through 20, or go to Galatians 5, verse 13, we're to serve one another. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens. Ephesians 4, 32, forgive one another. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another. Colossians 3, 9, be honest with one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, encourage one another. James 5.16, confess to one another. Confess your sins to one another and also pray for one another. Some beautiful indicatives of the family that we call the church and the way we're to be different from other communities, that our relationships would go much deeper than just surface level to the, pl- to the point where my relationship with you would reflect the relationship between Jesus and the Father. Deep, abiding relationships. We are called as the community of Christ to deep and abiding relationships united by the work of Jesus into what we call biblical community. I want to just, just illustrate this for you and hopefully in some way make us all a little bit uncomfortable because getting to know one another on the deep levels is uncomfortable, Right? It's, it's uncomfortable to be exposed and vulnerable and for you to, to know the real me. But this is what Jesus is calling us to, right? Not a facade relationship where it's all, you know, kind of Facebook perfect, right? And you just know the marriage that I want you to see and you just know the me that I want you to see. Like getting to know one another in the trenches of life. And so um, this is just a way to illustrate the way a lot of times we feel um, whenever we go to church. This was, for me, the way I felt at church. I was the little a red stick figure. And so when I came to church, I really felt like an outsider. I was completely unknown. I didn't want to be known, to be honest with you. I just wanted the time to be over so I could go back home and be around people that I was comfortable with. And so I was unknown. The people were unknown to me, and I was unknown to them. Many of us, some of you may even today still feel this way. So as, a, as we move into biblical community, though, together in worship services, um, this is what we hope happens. This is layer one, I would say, of of community is that now you're here and, and you're surrounded by people. You might even still feel alone, like not part of the crowd, but you're, you're here and you're kind of surrounded by people. And this happens when, when you show up, right? And so at this level, there's only so much we can get to know about one another because we spend most of our time sitting in chairs, pointing to the front, and we're not really interacting with one another. So at best, if all we do is show up and pass each other on a weekend worship service, We'll get to know each other's names, right? Might get to know some basic family structure. Oh, that's Daniel, and that's his wife. I don't know her name, but she sings in the worship team, and they have a couple kids, maybe two or three. Um, I don't know. I see a bunch of kids clinging to Like You begin to this general idea of who a person is, right? Some basic family structure. But this is not what Jesus was praying for, is it? Like what he was praying for was so much deeper than that. And so as we move into community, um, we have men's and women's ministry here, discipleship classes, student ministry on Wednesday nights. We have deeper layers of community you can get involved in. And so this second layer, though, is a place where not only do you know names, you know the names of family members. Oh, that's Brian, and his wife is Allie. And even though they have a bunch of kids around them all the time, they don't have any kids. And you begin to kind of get some details about who a person is and what's going on in their, in their life. You might even figure out what they do for a living, where they work, what neighborhood they live in, maybe their church background, um, where they come from, basic biographical story, 
personal preferences, maybe even a little bit of their testimony. Okay? We're beginning to drill down now into the depths of who we are, who we truly are. But even this isn't fully what Jesus is praying for. And so here at Solid Rock, you can, you can be known that way, but when we get into life group ministries, we're beginning to get there, right? And the first time you visit a life group, you're not going to get to the place you need to be. And so for us as a church, a lot of ways you can get involved in community. For us, this is the primary way we facilitate it. Like, we want to let you know that. So if you want to get involved and get to know people on a deeper level, this is a great way to do it. Um, at what we hope happens in life groups, though, is a place where we not only get to know what the names of their family members, we get to know some family background, where you're from, where your spouse is from, what kind of sports your kids get involved in, and extracurricular activities. We also get to know struggles, marriage struggles, maybe previous marriages. Oh, I didn't know you've been married before. Now I get to know you a little bit deeper, some more about your biographical background, personal convictions, theological convictions. Oh, I didn't realize that you were so adamant about such and such or, or this or that. And we get to know each other. We also get to know pet peeves and even some hot buttons, right? If you've been in life group for more than, you know, six months, you've probably seen somebody's button get pushed on some level, right? And it's okay. Why? Because we're getting to know the real us, right? We're drilling down to the deeper level, the deeper layers of who we are. You might even have time to hear a longer testimony. But, but even this isn't fully what Jesus was praying for, especially when we go to the one and others that he commands us to, where he tells us to to be honest with one another, to pray and to serve and to bear one another's burdens. And so this is what we're after here, a place where each one of us in Christ can be fully known, a place where it's safe, even though it's still intimidating, it's safe to be vulnerable, a place to share your fears, to say, this is what I'm afraid of. Here's why I do things this way. I'm scared to death of such and such or this or that, my fears, my insecurities, my even my specific sins, James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another. We don't do that on Sunday morning, open mic, come confess your sins. Why? Because we don't know each other that well. We've got to find a place where we can drill down into the deeper levels of who we are. Not only that, we can, we can address addictions and dreams and spiritual gifts, and, right? And this is the place where we fully get to that place of transparency, humility, vulnerability, and honesty before one another that Jesus is praying for. This can happen in a life group setting and happen at Starbucks. The point is that we find a place to get, right, to get, to get open and honest, to be fully known, to go from disengaged, I don't know anybody, nobody doesn't know me, and I don't think I want to be known, to a place where you're willing to say, you know what, I'm going to take a risk here. Yeah, I have a prayer request. And then you let people into what's going on in the depths of who you are. And you trust the community, maybe four people, two people, one person, to truly pray and invest in your spiritual journey. And so if you're following along in the notes, as a church, as the church, the nearness of our relationship with one another, is what Jesus was praying for, should reflect the intimate relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And really, you and I really never get there, do we? So, like, there's never a place where we plateau in our relationship and go, I'm done. I know you well enough. You know me well enough. Let's just call it good. Like, we're always pursuing that, oftentimes through friction, right, as our iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. And we're not talking about a community where everybody always gets along and all the personalities are all the same and we all love the same things. We're talking about a place where we stand on a platform of grace and unity that allows us to disagree, allows us to, 
to, to have friction between one another without what? Abandoning one another, without walking away, without turning our back on one another. So many corners in my spiritual journey have been turned after a moment of friction with a brother in Christ. In a moment of adamant, robust dialogue, otherwise known as arguments or disagreeing or strongly about something I just knew I was right about and I stood strong. And the other person stood strong. And neither one of us was willing to budge from our perspective or view. But the thing that was more important was that we weren't willing to budge from our relationship with one another. And we wrestled through it only to figure out that I was right and they were wrong. Just kidding. Only to find out that we were both wrong. First of all, right, for, for pursuing disunity. But second of all, there's always room for us to be wrong and to learn from one another. And we stand on this platform of grace and unity, just like our marriages, that allows us to have conflict without walking away. And Jesus says to the Father, in the same way, you and I are intimately one. There's no void, no chasm, no separation, no gap between us. That's what I want for all of those who would come follow me. Not just my disciples, not my, my, my 12 boys here, but everybody who's going to come follow me through them and their ministry. I think uh, being around construction, I tend to think that way. One way that I would illustrate our relationship with one another is the way that welding works. I don't know how many welding people we have in here, and you may or may not know anything about welding, but the way welding works is you've got two pieces of metal, and you can't just heat one up. You have to heat both up Equally, the heat has to penetrate into both pieces of metal, and, and the, the welding rod or the wire that you're using becomes this bond that, that, that basically the, 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 the two pieces of metal and the welding, they all become one monolithic thing, right? And so if you know anything about welding, you can have a weld that looks really strong and, and pretty, but in the end it's really weak because it only penetrated into one side. And so I like to use that, especially like in marriage, to talk about how the two become one. God welds us together, equally deep in both of our lives, as the Holy Spirit works in the depths of who you are and the depths of who I am, as Christ reigns in my heart, he reigns in your heart, he welds us together. And it's cool because, you know, that, that idea of the two becoming one, Genesis 2, Adam and Eve uh, become one flesh, and then Paul talks about it in Ephesians 5. But you know he does something else. So the two becoming one in Ephesians 2, when he talks about how Jesus died for our unity, he says that the two become one. And he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about the people in the church. He says that at the cross, Jesus tore down the hostility that divided us. So every reason we had to not get along, every personality conflict, right, every philosophical difference, all those things were, were destroyed. The power of those things were destroyed at the cross, that Jesus died for our unity, and the two are now one for those who are in Christ. All right, um, Ephesians 4 is where we're going next. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11. Um, we were in 4, 1 through 6 two weeks ago, laying that foundation on why unity matters. So with that same train of thought, Paul is going to now practically talk about our unity with one another, how it works together to cause the church to grow. Starting in verse 11, he hits uh, a few positions of leadership in the church. Verse 11 says, he being Jesus gave the positions of, if you want to read it that way, apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. These aren't all the roles in the church. He's just given some examples and he's reminding the church. Jesus gave these roles. 
And these are primarily leadership roles. And, and I think that if we're not careful, we think of leadership roles in the church, we think of the people who are supposed to be doing ministry. And, and I love what he says here. Jesus gave these roles to the church to do something. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. We'll slip into verse 12, and then we'll come back. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? You are. We are. This, that's all of us who are in Christ. It's not the elite special, special forces, you know, in Christianity. The saints are the people of God. These leadership roles have been given in the church to equip the saints for ministry. And so this idea of what Paul is expressing in verse 11, if we go to 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to transition there for a few minutes. Um, really, the whole chapter, Paul is explaining what he means by he gave these positions in the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Um, we go to uh, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians he actually uses a very similar list at the end of the chapter in 27. He says, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says, now you are the body of Christ, talking about the church, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers. Does that sound familiar? Very similar list. Just throwing some out there. He's given these positions in the church, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating in various kinds of tongues. So that's the end of the chapter. Now we're going to back up to the beginning. Now that we know that he's talking about the same thing he's talking about in Ephesians 4, he gave these positions to the church. Let's look at what he says starting in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. And we'll have these up on the uh, screen, so if you don't want to flip, feel free to jot them down. Um, on Sunday mornings, we always hope to give you more than you can take in. Okay, just so you know that at Solid Rock. Like, we want to give you more so that you've got something to go home with and study throughout the week and pray about. So feel free, just jot down addresses and then go, go back to it this week. Uh, so starting in verse 4, it's a beautiful passage as Paul begins to explain how we come together as individual members of the body to serve and to work together so that the body will grow. And so in verse 4, we'll begin here. He says, now, in the church, there are varieties of gifts, spiritual giftings here is primarily what he's talking about, varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but there's the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. Paul is doing the same thing that Jesus did. Jesus said, let their unity look like the relationship of the Trinity. Look at what Paul's saying here. All kinds of gifts, one spirit. All kinds of service, one Lord. All kinds of activities, one God. He's going to make a point here that as we serve and work in the church, that it comes out of our unity with one another. Matter of fact, your relationship with other members in the church can't be separated from your serving you know how like when you go on like a mission trip or you go serve somewhere, all of a sudden you become closer with the people you serve with? Like that's biblically how God designed it to work. They're not supposed to be separate. Here's the people I'm close to in the church, and here's the people I go do work with. Like something about our relationship is supposed to, to be knit together with how we serve. And so look at what he says here just to start off. You have all these varieties of different ways people are gifted one spirit, one Lord, one God, who empowers them all and everyone. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That's the saints, every believer. So like if you're maybe new to Christianity, maybe that's new to you. You didn't realize that. 
Or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and you've heard that and heard that and heard that and you still don't know how God's gifted you. We want to have that conversation with you. As a matter of fact, next Sunday morning as part of our Spiritual Foundations class, you can come during the second service, kids building downstairs, a whole class dedicated to spiritual gifts and creating that conversation for you to, to learn and figure out how God's gifted you. But here's the point. Every believer has been gifted. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift for a purpose. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. So some of you here today have a spiritual gift of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge. Some of you here today have a spiritual gift of knowledge. According to the same Spirit. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another working of miracles and another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another interpreting tongues. And here's the point. All of these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 12, for just as the body is one. That's the point here. Just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. So it is with Christ, for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink from one spirit. So the point, the foundation for how we serve, whether you're working like in kids' ministry or you're working upstairs in the technology area, you're serving as a greeter in hospitality, you're serving on some type of team, or maybe you're serving informally here. Just as you see needs arise, you get involved, nobody really even knows that you're serving. The foundation for all that is our unity with one another. So I, I love um, the song Cornerstone. Um, so like that, that song has really two layers of meaning. One, Christ is my cornerstone. So in life, as I walk through life, he's who I lean against. He's my stability. He's the one who holds me tight, holds me steady as the storms of life come against me. But there's something beautiful about that song and about what's being represented there, that as I lean against Jesus, the cornerstone, and you lean against Jesus, the cornerstone, we lead towards one another. And he becomes not just my, my personal cornerstone, but our cornerstone, what binds us and draws us to one another. So as I show up to serve the church, I'm doing so, and I'm, I'm doing so because I'm pressing into Jesus, and I want to serve him. And as I serve him, I look up, oh, I'm serving you. And you do the same thing. Our serving is supposed to reflect our unity with one another. And this is what Paul is getting at. He uses the human body to illustrate the unity of our service so that we don't get into the silo effect where Jamie Curtis is in the kids' building doing her own thing and Brian Lamb is in the student ministry doing his own thing and the elders are over here doing their own thing and, 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 and the you know, missions team is over here doing their own thing. Like if we're not careful, we'll get into the silo effect and we're doing our own thing. We have our own agendas, our own vision, our own... Right? And the point that Paul's using here is if you're a local church, it's one body. Like functionally, you're supposed to be on the same mission, same strategy, same resources, going at it together, throwing in together. Matter of fact, I mean, he just makes it so practical here in verse 14. The body does not consist of one member, but many. In verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And I feel like he wants us to feel some ridiculousness, maybe some sarcasm there. So if I come into the church and say, well, this is how God's gifted and designed me, so mm, I don't see it, I don't, I don't belong, 
right? That doesn't make me not belong. God has given me this gift to be a part of. As he continues on, he says in a similar way, and if the ear should say, verse 16, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. That wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? Think about that. If everybody had the same personality, the same gifting, if we all had the same pet peeves, where would the body be? We'd all be a bunch of ears in here, right? The diversity of how we've been gifted and shaped should come together in a complementary way, the same way an eye and an ear look so different, but they depend on one another. And the ear serves to hear things that the eyes can't see, and the eye sees things to serve things that the ears can't hear, and they work together for one another's good. Can you imagine if your eyes and your ears didn't cooperate? And your, ears, your eyes see something that's coming your way, but your ears can't hear it? And then all of a sudden, something happens, boom, and you get, like, I can see a baseball coming, for example. I can't hear it, but I can see it. And so I'm like, ha, 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 the ears can't tell you're coming, and I turn, I let it hit my ear. Like, as silly as that is, but, right, my eyes are supposed to serve my ears, and my ears are supposed to hear things going on that my eyes can't see to serve one another. Why? Because if the ear gets whacked and there's pain, the eyes feel it, right? And so my serving is supposed to help you, and your serving is supposed to help me, and we're supposed to come together and complement like two becoming one for the common good. We, we talked about it last week. The word koinonia um, means to throw in together like one common gift of worship. And we talked about how our tithe is that. Our songs are part of that. So is our serving. Because like, part of the sacrifice of worship is our time. And so I'm throwing in with you and you're throwing in with me. And we're throwing in together. And what Paul's going to say as he finishes this section is that here's what happens. The church starts to grow when this happens. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. My gifts are so I can care for you well. So we can have the same care for one another. Listen to verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, if we went back to our layers of community illustration, that can't happen at layer one. Like you can come back, you can come in here on Sunday and fake it for an hour and 15 minutes. You can pretend like marriage is all together and you put on you know, the Facebook appearance and kids are all awesome and how you, my week was awesome. and like You can do that. You can fake it for a little while, right? We can't become this, though, unless we're drilling down into deeper layers, places where we're willing to be known, where we're willing to get to know other people. It's messy. We talk about that here at the church. Real ministry is messy. And Jesus said, I didn't come, come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The church is to be hospital, not a hotel, a place where we can truly say, here are the trenches in my life, and I don't know where to go from here. Will you, will you walk with me? One member suffers, we all suffer. One member is honored, we all rejoice. Every believer has been given a spiritual gift for serving the local church. Every believer has been given a gift. Not only that, as we already read in verse 
uh, Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Every believer has been given a role in building the local church. Spiritual gift for serving, a role in building the local church. And we're not talking about a building. We're talking about the people. Look at the rest of verse 12 as Paul begins to describe what we're after here. What are we after? Bigger buildings, more people, more land, a more prestigious name. What are we after here as a church? What do we mean when we say growing together? Here's what we mean. For the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We talk about that often here. If you're a Christian here, you have a knowledge of who Jesus is. Spiritual maturity happens when the roots of your faith dig deeper into that knowledge and you know more deeply who he is, more deeply who he is for you. On a surface level, when we're saved, we know that Jesus died for our sins, resurrected from the grave, and given me a relationship with God and made me righteous so that I can stand, as we just sang, before his throne. I know that. Day one. Day 1,000, I'm getting to know that more deeply, to find that that is more true than I originally believed. And as I grow deeper and deeper into what I already believe to be true, my roots of my faith grow deeper into Christ. And so Paul begins to, in some ways, kind of paint this portrait of a tree growing deeper into what is already ours, our unity of faith and our knowledge of the Son of God until we, so he says, the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So somehow when we come together as a church and serve one another, we're supposed to do that. And as we do it more, we grow, grow more and more into maturity and we reflect more and more who Jesus is to the world around us. Now it begins to make sense why he prayed that for us that the world would know that you sent me, Father. I pray that they could be one the same way we are one. The world would see me in them, the body of Christ. Verse 14, here's what happens if we don't do that. If we stay immature, we get this imagery of uh, being infants. He says in verse 14, so we, that we may no longer be children or kids, spiritually speaking. Here's what happens if we stay immature in our faith tossed to and fro by the waves. You get this imagery of, of like a, you know, a five-year-old out on the ocean, just, right, the waves are just having their way with that little kid, sloshing him back and forth and throwing and tumbling and under and bobbing around. And, and that's what Paul says, if we stay immature in our faith, disconnected from one another, right, that's what we're going to be like. Children out, tossed around, like waves tossing around a kid, Tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by every cunning, by every crafty, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what we're talking about today it, it, um, didn't come from a pastor's conference on how to grow your church. Didn't come from some creative seminar on how to get your people, your church excited. This is the word of God saying, this is how the church grows. This is it. Right? We don't, we serve coffee in the back, but don't count on your coffee to grow the church right? We, we do all kinds of user-friendly things around our campus and put up signs and badges and all these great things to help, but like, don't count on those things to grow the church. It's deeper than that. You've got to be willing to, to drill down in relationships and get in the trenches of life and share life with one another, church, if you're going to grow. 
Otherwise, we'll be like kids tossed around by the latest and greatest idea. Whatever pop culture rolls off the conveyor belt, we'll latch onto it. Go, that sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. And we'll chase after some philosophy or strategy for a few months until it, the flame begins to fade and we realize, oh, that doesn't work for us. And then we grab a hold of some other idea and we start doing this and trying to grow the church. And what Paul's saying is, no, the church is supposed to be rooted and grounded and stable and firm so that when the storms come and the waves crash, it may move a little, but we don't divide. and It doesn't tear us apart and it doesn't destroy who we are. See, that's what we're after together, this maturity in Christ. And the only way it works is for us to grow together. Look at what he says. Uh, let's, let's finish 15 because there's something important here. So he says, instead of being tossed around by every cunning doctrine idea, verse 15, rather than that, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Um, speaking the truth of love is not synonymous for flattery, okay? Um, flattery feels good. I, I love that we are big on hospitality here, and we, it's so good to see you, and you just look awesome, and, and those, those things mean something to us for a moment, right? But then a few moments later, we forget. Speaking the truth in love is so much deeper than that. Speaking the truth in love means getting to a place where we can be honest with one another. Truth hurts sometimes. It's, it, in Proverbs, truth is described this way, that wounds from a friend can be trusted. So it's getting to those places in our relationships with one another where we trust the wounds. We trust the hard things that we need to say to one another. And when we hear it, we don't run. We don't bail. I don't like the way you said that. I don't like what you said to me. I don't want to deal with that right now. I'm bailing. We don't bail. We get to a place where we can speak truth and love to one another. Not just speaking truth, right? Prophets are good at speaking truth, right? Saying things, whatever's on their mind, no filter, and it comes across like a baseball bat. It's not what's being described here, right? Not running around just, bam, hitting everybody with truth. But speaking the truth in love means, hey, I'm willing to get in the trenches with you. It means I'm willing to ask you to speak into my life. Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Can you help me see what's going on? My marriage is, is a shamble right now. I don't know why. I, I think it's her, but it could be me. Will you speak into that? Truth in love. So rather than being tossed around, we speak the truth in love. Verse, well, if you're taking notes, let's fill this out. So as individual believers, all of us who are Christians, as individual believers fully engage in serving the local church through their or your individual spiritual gifts, the church is built up and grows towards spiritual maturity. As individual believers fully engage in serving the local church through their individual spiritual gifts, the church is built up and grows towards spiritual maturity. Look at verse 16. We'll finish here. Growing us up to look more and more like Jesus, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. It's beautiful imagery. Jesus binds us together like ligaments, binding the body together. But look at this. When each part is working properly, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is how the church is supposed to grow. And as uncomfortable as it is, 
to be known, to be vulnerable, for you to know where I'm messy at. Right? That's the level we have to get to if we're going to grow. And so I can't just be a Sunday morning church member. I can't just pass you by in the hallways and live these things out. I can't obey the one another of scriptures unless I'm willing to live life with you on some level, to spend time with you. Um, I mentioned earlier that you know, life groups is the primary, prim- primarily the place we facilitate that here as a church, but don't, life groups is a program, right? You can't just join a life group and expect it to happen. Like, you've got to be willing to go there, whether it's a life group or not, to be with, a, if, you, if you are a guy, to be with some brothers in Christ, that you're willing to pull, the, to, to pull the veil back on and pull the guards down and say, here's who I am. Ladies, to be with some women in Christ, Titus 2, where you can say, here's where I'm struggling as a mom or struggling as a wife or just struggling as a daughter of God. There's got to be a place for you to live that out if you're ever going to be a part of what Jesus prayed for. Like, that's what Jesus asked God to do for you and for me. Um. At Solid Rock, there's so many things that God is doing in our midst that, that I'm so thankful for. Um, right now, our life groups ministry is thriving. So much of what we went over today is happening. I'm not trying to get something started here. It's already happening. Um, we have over, so if you look at our church attendance, we have over half of our church attendance um, involved, committed involved in, um, in life groups and in community on, headed towards this level. They're not all there yet, but headed here. Maybe still layer two, layer three, but headed here. Um, we have, if you look at our serving database, we have right at 50% of our attendees who serve here at least once a month. If not, some of you every Sunday a month and some of you in multiple positions every Sunday. We're working on that, right? Because we don't want you to be overwhelmed. But here's, here's the, so like over half our folks are engaged just by looking at the numbers. Um, a couple things to think about. One, um, some folks who come and attend our churches um, aren't believers in Jesus. And so, like, we're so thankful that you're here. We are. We want you to know who Jesus is, and we want you to know who we are. And so we're willing to have honest conversations with you for you to overhear us talking to one another so you know what our biblical expectations are for one another. You cannot be a Christian. You're welcome to come show up. We're glad you're here. Right? And so there's maybe one reason why some folks aren't serving yet, because they don't know the love of Christ yet and aren't fully compelled to get involved. And I get that. Some folks have been through maybe a hard season of like suffering or darkness or brokenness. And like right now, you're, you're healing, you're licking your wounds, you're allowing people just to surround you and speak over you and pray over you. And, and so those are valid reasons. Like, you know, we're not under some illusion that if you walk through those doors, you have to sign up for a team, right? But here's the thing. Who's responsible for 100% of the community and the serving? The church body is, right? And so at the same time, we know there are those of you who are, maybe feeling drawn to get involved, but you don't know how yet or where. Some of you maybe aren't even drawn yet, and today God's kind of tapping on your heart and convicting you like, okay, fine, I'll sign up for something. Okay, Don't just sign up for something. Wrestle with God. Pray about it. God, what is it you want me to do? How do you want me to get involved? Um, we want the, the invitation to get involved here to always feel like an invitation. We never want it to feel like a, a cheap sales pitch uh, some kind of manipulative, guilt-driven, unless you get involved, Jesus isn't going to love you kind of thing. Not it at all. We always want it to be this open invitation to get involved here in life groups and serving. Uh, we, we want you to feel wanted, not overwhelmed or burdened, okay? 
And so that being said, we try to use our connect cards. You guys heard about those early in the service. Like that's a very practical way to bridge the gap between, okay, I'm here, I'm bought in, but I'm not fully engaged. How do I get engaged? So I want to get involved in a life group. Had a couple meet, uh, talk to me after the last service. We want to get involved in life group. We're, we're signing a connect card. Fantastic. We're looking for it tomorrow. We get in. We want to get you connected. We want to pray about this with you. We're not just going to stick you anywhere. We're going to pray about it with you. Others are saying, how can I get involved in serving? Um, we put a, a, a chalkboard, um, little frame chalkboard up on the wall back in the connect corner by the coffee. just has a, a, um, a current list of places where we need folks to serve. Okay, Don't go back there and sign up for everything. And don't go back there because you feel guilty. But if the Spirit of God is working in you and compelling you to get involved, go back there prayerfully and look at where we need some folks to help out. And if God prompts you, man, put that down on a connect card. I promise you we'll get in touch with you this week. Or we'll try. I mean, sometimes it's hard because we miss each other phone tag. But we will do our best to get in touch with you. And it, it's risky. I get it. I'm going to write my name down. I hear my phone number, my email address. Next thing I know, you know, you're going to be... Blast me with emails. We, we may, but mainly just because we love you. But we won't sell your information. Like, we want to, I'm just being silly, but right? So, like, it's vulnerable. It's risky to say, here's my contact info. We want to contact you. We want to see what God is doing in your life, how he's stirring. We want to hear about how God's drawing you to be connected. Because here's the thing. We are a tight-knit family here, but we want to be a tight-knit family with open arms. We want you to feel like we, you're being hugged every time you walk in here on a Sunday morning, but we also want you to feel like you're being invited into a family to be known more deeply, that you could be part of this amazing growth that God is doing in our church. We want you to be a part of that. And so I want to pray for us now and invite our worship team back up. And, uh, and so worship team wants to just come back up. Um, I want to just take a second to say, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to know the greatest invitation we could extend to you is to come to know Jesus personally. He's the one who does this whole love thing inside of us and fixes what is broken. He's the one who's fixing the messes in our lives. And so we want you to know that, that to become a Christian, you don't have to sign, put your name on a list. You don't have to pay your dues. You don't have to go change your wardrobe. You don't have to learn the lingo. All you have to do is, is just as you are, come to Christ. That's the invitation. Bring your mess and lay it down at the feet of the cross, and that's where Jesus hugs you first and embraces you and says, I want to call you mine. And so in that moment of faith, of believing in Jesus, you go from belonging to the world, tossed about by any philosophy or idea or any whim that comes your way, to belonging to the family of Christ. Jesus says, by faith alone, I will forgive your sins and save you, and I will call you mine my daughter, my son, you belong to me, first and foremost. And so if that's you today, I'm just going to invite you to do something risky. Um, we're going to sing in a minute. When we do, our prayer partners are going to be in the back. Um, I'm, I'm just going to ask you to, to take that step and go talk to one of them today and say, listen, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I don't even know where I am right now. Would you pray for me? We would be honored to pray with you and talk with you more about what it means to become a Christian. Um, we were talking about in Life Group how at times... Um, we feel like in a service like this, God's spirit is prompting us maybe to come down and kneel and pray or to grab somebody and pray. I don't think we say it often enough. Like, we want you to respond to the spirit of God as he leads. We come together expecting the spirit of God to move in us and compel us and call us. And if you want to get up and go pray with somebody, if you want to come kneel and pray, you want to stay seated, just stay in God's word, read, do that, okay? 
I'm going to pray for us now as we prepare to respond.